Please turn in your New Testaments to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is one of those kind of famous stories of Jesus when he was by the Sea of Galilee teaching um, the the Lake of Gennesaret, as it's called in in this particular passage, is the Sea of Galilee. So let's let's go to the Sea of Galilee together through the Scriptures and, and see our Lord teaching. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boat, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch and Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing, but at your word, we will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. An interesting way to define missions, at least from this passage, uh, would, would be something like this. Missions is when an experience becomes a purpose. When an experience becomes a purpose. How many people were there by the Sea of Galilee that day? Can you can you kind of enter into this? You can see multitudes of people so much that they were just about to press Jesus back into the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's an amazing sight. You see those fishermen cleaning their nets there on the beach, and Jesus suddenly got into one of their boats. Now, you need to know that this is not, Peter didn't say, dude, the guy just got into my boat. Actually, Jesus knew Peter. Jesus already knew James and John. We learned this in John 135 through 211, and and uh, that they had been together. So it's not surprising that, that Jesus would, would get into Simon Peter's boat. And so he climbs into the boat. He, he asks Simon Peter, Peter to push the boat out a little bit to be able to get away from the crowd, anchor the boat, and there Jesus sits in the boat using the boat as his pulpit. And I just love this picture as the crowds are just hanging on every word. How many people 
in their hearts that day said, this is the one. This is the Messiah. And, and put their trust in Jesus. We, we don't know. But then when Jesus finished teaching, he did something kind of surprising. He did something kind of, kind of ironic. There are all kinds of, of things that are happening here. He began to speak to the fishermen about how to fish. Verse 4, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Now, this is ironic because what we have is, you know, a professional fisherman being lectured about fishing by a carpenter. And, uh, and you know, Simon, verse 5, says, Master, can you just see that, that word dragged out? Master, we've been up all night. You know when you've been up all night, just how you feel? We have not only been up all night, we've toiled all night, and we have not caught anything. But, but Simon Peter has taken in this powerful message from Jesus. He has been with Jesus. He, he knows that there is this great difference about this rabbi from Nazareth. He's such an admirer of Jesus, so he says, okay, because it's you, we'll do it. So they put all their nets back in the boat, so they go out. And, you know, you, you've heard sermons preached about this, I'm sure, where, uh, you know, they've been out all night fishing, which is a good time to fish. They were in the shallow water, which is the right place. Now it's daytime, a bad time, and now he's sending them out to the deep water, a bad place. Okay, we, you know, it really heightens when you kind of know these, these thoughts, these facts. But dog tired, they did it. And suddenly they realized there was, there were fish in that net. And not only were there fish in the net, then they could barely, can you see them? They can, they can't really, there's so many that can't really get the nets up into the boat. So they, 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 Holler over to their their partners, James and John, that are fishing out and got the nets down in another boat. They come over. They're all helping each other pull in these nets. And, um, and so now both boats are beginning to fill up with fish so much, we read, that, that the both boats begin to sink. And this has never happened in all their years of fishing. It's not supposed to happen at this time. I mean, the boats are about to be swamped because of fish. So this is, this is like, like pure cash, lots of it, and it's alarming at the same time. There's just so much going on here. Um, but I want you to know that oh, the fact that he got into Peter's boat wasn't the most surprising thing that happened. And even the nets breaking and the boats, that's not the most shocking thing that happened that day. No, what the most shocking thing that happened that day was what Peter saw. What Peter saw. Yeah, he, he saw the, the crowds. He saw the, the great catch. We read that. And then for one shining moment, we see in the text, it's like the, the scales have fallen off of his eyes. He sees the power and the glory of, and the holiness of the Son of God. He sees Jesus how He really is. We know this because of His response. 
it's jolting. This, this realization that God isn't quite like what we thought He was like. He really is holy, glorious and powerful. And, and then, of course, that realization of His own sin in the presence of Jesus. Because what He says is, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. That's the first thing I want you to, to consider is, is how Peter experiences the reality of who Jesus really is. Notice that Peter doesn't thank Jesus for the fish. I mean, don't you think that's kind of weird? You know? I mean, there's like this this never-before kind of crop, uh, a, a windfall, and he doesn't say, Jesus, thank you. We're fishermen. Thank you so much. Actually, the fish just fade into obscurity right here. The fish are unimportant once the big jolt, the big surprise, the big shock happens to Peter. No, he says, depart from me. Leave me. Get away from me. Not thank you. This is very strong language, fueled by a powerful realization of his sin. Verse 8, when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We might imagine Peter saying rather something like this, Wow! Not, get away! You know, or, 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 or wanting to, Jesus, could, could you hang out with us some more? Could you do this some more? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pay my mortgage off pretty quick here if you'll just kind of hang out with us some more. Not, i got to get away from you. I mean, don't, don't you find this interesting? Now, I think a lot of, of what people call their religion, a lot of what people call their, their quote, Christianity today, really kind of when it gets down to it, it it's really not seeing Jesus as the all-powerful, three-times-holy God. It's kind of seeing Jesus as the person that gives us the stuff we want. You know, and, 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 and to figure out how to get God to give us what we want. But here, it's depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Maybe we could put it this way. In the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Peter feels dirty and undone. That's 100% in line with how people across the Scriptures have responded to the immediate presence of God. And even angels sent by God. It's what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Do you remember this? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lofty and exalted. In fact, let me just read a little bit, and I want you to see the parallel between Isaiah's response to, to seeing God for who he really is and Peter's response uh, to Jesus. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is glory, majesty, high and lifted up, throne, train, filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces because God was so holy they couldn't look at him. With two they flew. 
With two, they covered their feet because they could not stand in the presence of God. And verse 3 says, and they called, the seraphim did, one to another. And this is what they said when they were in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Listen to this. This is terrifying and and impressive. And then the foundations of the thresholds shook. God's glory and power began to shake the temple. The, the, The foundations shook and the temple filled with smoke. This is the smoke, the cloud. This is exactly what holiness looks like in the Old Testament. And the house was filled with smoke. And here's the response. And I, Isaiah, said, that's so cool. Could you do that again? No. Woe is me. I am ruined. I'm toast. I'm done. Because I have seen the king. And I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I remember about, uh, I'm going to say about nine years ago, I was the designated driver. This has nothing to do with alcohol, by the way. I was the designated driver to the study sessions for my daughters. And uh, my oldest daughter was meeting some uh, some classmates over in the Fusion Coffee Shop just right across the street here. And I was, this was before she got her license, and I was the designated driver that night. And so, you know, I, I walked in with her, and she immediately went to be with her friends, and I immediately went to the far other side of the coffee shop, you know, just so she wouldn't have to be around me, which at that stage was preferable, I think, to uh, not have to be with Dad. So uh, there they were studying, and and I was sitting way over on the other side, and I decided, well, you know, I'll, I'll get something decaffeinated so I won't stay up all night. And so I got in line, and I was with this man standing there, and we, we started talking. And I can't remember exactly how it happened, but I told him I was a pastor, and that's either a good thing or a bad thing in conversation. It turned out to be an okay thing. Next thing you know, we have launched into the gospel. We, and this is the way we, we launched into it. We launched into, and, and I was able to tell him what God is really like. That God is holy. And I, and I talked about what that meant. He was very interested. And, and I talked to him about, about our sin. And I, I said, well, this, you know, this is why Jesus came. And um, the man right there kind of in line, we just stopped. We didn't go to the, you know, to, to the, to the ordering place. We just stopped right there. He looks down at the floor. He starts shaking his head. I mean, God just struck him. And he says these words, I'm filthy. I'm filthy. I'm filthy. And he began to weep. Holy, holy, holy in Fusion Coffee Shop. Because suddenly somebody saw it. Was answered with, I'm filthy, I'm filthy, I'm filthy. Meanwhile, in the other corner... One of the girls that Sarah's with says, Sarah Caitlin, your daddy just made that man cry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's just sharing the gospel. Don't worry about it. He tries to do it all the time. (laughs) You know, I I remember when I when I came to Christ, I 
my eyes were opened, and, and the thing that I remember the most was, was being able to see that God was actually holy and in this corresponding realization that I'm not a pretty good southern guy that God will accept, that I was a sinner. And, you know, I began to weep. And, and that is how Christ came into my life. I, I saw Christ for who he actually is. This is a very important passage for a lot of reasons because until we get it about who God really is, we're not going to understand why Jesus coming to earth and, and what the cross, what any of that's really about. You see, this wasn't about finally what Jesus could give them, the fish. This turned into the biggest shock of all, who Jesus is. It's about the fact that God is holy and we are not. Y'all understand grace is about God's holiness, our sin, and thus the need for God to bring us together by his sacrifice. So that's the first thing I want you to see is Peter experiences Jesus for who he actually is. That's the biggest shock that day. But the second thing I want you to see is, is Peter's uh, Jesus' response to Peter. Jesus doesn't leave Peter undone. Isn't that wonderful? Peter experiences God's, Jesus' grace. Look at verse 10. These four words just say it all. Jesus answered Simon, Do not be afraid, because Simon was afraid. Do not be afraid. This is the grace of God. Do you and I even begin to understand? And I think the answer is no. That's the reason I'm asking it this way. Do you and I even begin to understand how offensive our sin is to a three times holy God? Um, but that's why Jesus came into this world. And, and, and this is what God has done. And Christ has taken our sin that, that keeps us from a holy God. And, and, and Christ has taken all that sin. He has borne our actual sins upon his body on the cross. He has been punished in our place so that we can hear these words from Jesus. We ought to be terrified of the reality of who God is. Y'all understand, we serve an austere God of holiness who dwells in inapproachable light and glory that no man can even look at and live. Do you understand that? Enough of all this, this sentimental hogwash about God. If God had a refrigerator, my picture would be on it. Enough of that. No, he's this God, you know, and the smoke filled the temple and etc. God, through Christ, says to us, don't be afraid. I will give you all the holiness you need. I have done everything necessary for you. And you know what? Just when, when we are undone, when we understand the reality of who God is, there is amazing love. Just, just when we realize, I mean, that's that bad realization, isn't it? Not just our sin, but you understand the reason that's a bad realization? Because we deserve a judge who is holy. Just when we realize we deserve a judge, we look up and there is a Savior instead of a judge who has taken the penalty and ready to say, not guilty, righteous because of me. See, this is when the fisherman was caught by Jesus. You know, um, for those of us who have known Jesus, 
for years. I, I think just parenthetically for a moment, this can be an important passage too. I mean, you know, you, you've put your trust in Jesus, but we, we still sin, don't we? I do. We still sin, and, and when God helps us see the cancer of our sin and the offense our sin is to God, sometimes we can despair. Because we've known the Lord and we can despair. And um, sometimes we might feel that, that you know, we got to do something. We have to do something about it. We've, we've got to punish ourselves because we, we sin. we got to do, have you ever done this thing? Three good things to make up for, for one bad thing. And do you know something? We need to remember these words. Do not be afraid. I'm the one. Look, I've already paid for all that. Just confess it. Just repent to me. Just come and turn to me and and walk with me. I love you. This is covered. Isn't that good news? And so we we see how uh, Peter sees Jesus for who he really is. We see Jesus' response of grace to Peter. But finally, I want you to see that this is why I'm saying it's when an experience becomes a purpose. There's, there's something to live for out of this. There, there's something to do. There, there's a life and not just a moment, you see. And look, we get this concept when an experience becomes a purpose. I mean, some of you love coffee. You know, you get a new flavor of coffee at your favorite coffee shop, and all of your little coffee buddies, what the, I mean, you experience this. First thing you do, you've got a purpose. You text them all and say, you've got to go to this coffee shop, and, and you've got to have this coffee. That's when an experience became a purpose. You get it? Uh, one of our kids goes to a summer camp. And the next thing you know, everybody in their circle, you cannot go to any camp next summer but the one I went to. You have got to go to camp with me. People feel this way about their colleges. People feel this way about their deer camps, uh, about all kinds of things. This is when an experience translates into a purpose. You understand? Peter experiences God's Power, glory, holiness. Peter experiences, do not be afraid. I am the one. The the grace of Jesus. And, And here, the experience of forgiveness, love, and grace turns into a burning passion for other people to also experience Jesus in his reality, in his grace, Verse 10, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, this is your purpose. From now on, verse 10, you, fishermen, will be catching men. This is when holiness and grace turned into missions. Right here. In the gospel, this is a very important moment in the history of missions. You know, y'all remember? I remember learning this little song in church um, when I was a child, and maybe we still teach it. Uh, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. Y'all, y'all learn that 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 song? It's a little song. It says, 
I won't sing it. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, if you follow me. Now, we're teaching our children to follow Jesus means we have a purpose. It's like, hey, if you know Jesus, this is how we roll. <laughs> I will teach, I, I will make you fishers of men. That's what you're going to be, the purpose if you follow me. I love that little song, and the more I thought about it, I thought that is about as straight a line as you can draw right out of this passage about the reality of that purpose. And it, it is something. Coming to the real Christ means being sent. Being sent. You know, uh, I love, Ryan, thank you for your design. I love this design. Y'all seen this little airplane, and thank y'all for decorating. Man, there are paper airplanes all around this place. Because the paper airplane became the symbol of being sent. Translated, you're the airplane. <laughs> Jesus is the one throwing. And you, you, will you be sent? Will you who have experienced Jesus or experienced him today maybe for the first time, will you become fishers of men? Will you be sent? And then the astounding last sentence of this text. Look at verse 11. Kind of puts a wrap on it. It's, it's amazing. We read the Bible sometimes too fast, don't we? We need to slow down and say, that's amazing. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They immediately pursued their purpose with their whole hearts. Don't you understand that what is in the boats on the beach is two really tall heaps of pure cash? They didn't even cash out. They didn't cash out like, hey, there's some missionary support right here on the beach. It's amazing that they, I would have cashed out. Wouldn't you all have cashed out? But you know, that this, this experience had become such an immediate passion that there's, no, there's just nothing in between. And, and, and we read, uh, uh, they brought their boats, pulled up their boats, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. They just leave the fish on the beach. They leave the hired men on the beach. They leave their boats behind, their capital behind. They leave their, uh, the sons of Zebedee's dad behind, their parents behind, everybody to go on mission. This is an amazing passage in the history of missions. And, and, and just, I will say, just kind of as an aside, this passage becomes a kind of illustration of what happened in Acts chapter 2. You know, I, don't be afraid, Peter, from now on you'll catch men. And this great catch, in Acts 2, you remember the Holy Spirit came down on the believers they began to speak in all these languages of the Jewish folks gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. Peter rose and he preached this really seeker-sensitive, really, you know, uh, very sensitive and careful sermon. Jesus is the Messiah. You killed him. Repent and believe. 3,000 people put their trust in the Messiah. That day. I mean, you, they couldn't even pull the fish into the boats 
there were so many people who saw the reality of who Christ was, understood the overwhelming grace of God, and said, that must be my life. He must be my Lord. That's where the forgiveness is. That's where the love is. And that is where my purpose is. Let me ask you a question. Can you see people around you living their lives without a relationship with Christ? Look, you know that it's not going to pay off. We've already, we've already, done, we've already been there done that. We know that when we move in those directions as believers, that it doesn't pay off. But, but will we see them, you see? I want to close by just reading one more passage from the Gospels. It's Matthew 9, 36 through 38. It's another time when Jesus was teaching a vast multitude and we read these words from Matthew 9:36. When Jesus saw the crowds, here's how he saw them. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. It wasn't working for them. They were harassed and helpless. Listen to this. Like a, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the emptiness and the futility of people's lives. He had compassion on them. The text goes on. And then he said to his disciples, verse 37 of Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful. Y'all believe that? Do y'all believe that God actually is at work in this world and he's working through his church and, and God is, you know, God opens people's hearts, not you and me. The harvest is plentiful. It's ready. For us to, to, to be fishers of men. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to, to send out, to thrust forth more laborers into the harvest field. What is missions? What is missions? You know, for some people, missions is the spiritual link between the New Testament and National Geographic magazine. You know that it's kind of this, this exotic thing. You know that missions is that thing that requires a passport. You know, it, it, it's that cross-cultural thing, or, or at least a, requires a checkbook to support the people who use their passports. But maybe, maybe from this text, missions... Maybe it's simply when a real experience of Christ becomes a purpose in our lives for other people to experience Christ and the reality of His holiness and the reality of His grace. you catch that? Maybe mission simply is when a real experience of Christ becomes a purpose for us to help others experience Christ. You're the airplane you're the airplane being sent to them across the street, down three cubicles, in, in the cafeteria after class. You know, you translate this into your life. Um, and sending others and being to places that you and I will never go, sending others so that we can be a part of this sitness, 
the sentness that Jesus unleashed in a boat full of fish with Peter. As strange as this sounds, just kind of here this first Sunday in the beginning of our, our missions festival, what I, what I really want us to do is just kind of back just a little bit away from the Great Commission, just for a moment, because first, I'm, I don't want you just to experience the sending. You know what I want you to experience? I want you to experience face-to-face Jesus Christ. In other words, I want us to get behind what, what is it that would give us that purpose? What is it that would ignite that passion, you see? In all His power, in all His glory, in all of His holiness, and your sin, and His grace, and how He transforms undoneness into adoration, and adoration into outreach through our lives. Maybe you put it this way. I don't want us just to understand missions a little bit better. I want us to feel missions so that we can respond to it. Let's let that experience become a a purpose called missions for each of us. You up for the journey? Let's do this together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this passage. Peter, that's us. we're, We're that sinful person. And you are still holy, holy, holy. Lord, we know that you are so serious about sin that you would never make deals with sin. You sacrifice your own son is how serious you are about sin. And thank you for that. Thank you that as we see you, Jesus, in your holiness, we also see you in your agony and in the total forgiveness that becomes ours through faith in you. If you've never put your trust in Christ and what he's done, and you just get it today, and you'd like to, you just pray with me, Lord, I see it. And I want to turn from everything that I've called religion. I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity. I want to turn from all my works and put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done on the cross for me. Thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now, the words, do not be afraid, are words that resonate in my newborn soul. Lord, many of us have walked with you for quite some time, and, and we're asking you to take the veil off of our face to be able yet again to understand what grace really is, to see you in your holiness, to just rejoice. In this grace that we now stand, that we shouldn't be able to withstand your presence. And Lord, would you make that experience of grace a purpose? Would you use us as a congregation to go make disciples of all the nations? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.